Welcome to Vincent Price's Life. Good evening, LB. Hello, Andrew. Good evening, everybody. We're back. Yeah, so we had planned to take a short hiatus after the holidays just to, you know, take a little break. But then in January, something very sad happened. Our very good four-legged friend, Rocket Dog, passed away. So we've been grieving and our hiatus has been a little bit prolonged, but um, I'm sure you can understand why. He was a good dog. Yes, he was. And we'd like to thank all of you out there for your patience and your support. We received some very kind words from some very kind people, and we appreciate everything. So now we're back at it, and there's going to be a little bit of a change. And when I say a little bit of a change, what I mean is we had been a bi-weekly podcast, meaning every two weeks we had a new episode. But we're going to drop down to one episode per month. I know, it's sad. Nah, <laughs> it's a load off my back. Yeah. Because I'm editing everything. Right. So what we're going to do, though, is something that I think is really cool, and I hope that you all will think it's really cool, too. Andrew here got me an awesome birthday present. My birthday was in February, and he got me an original first printing 1965 version of A Treasury, a treasury of, great of Great Recipes, recipes by, by Mary and Vincent Price. Price. Indeed. So what we're going to be doing, or what I'm going to be doing mostly, is for the other week of the month that our podcast would normally land on, I'm going to be making one of the recipes that is in this cookbook, and then I'm going to write a blog about it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat the, <laughs> I'm going to eat the blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the food. But you can see that on ouchmyego.com, and that'll be coming up soon, so check it out. Yes. So I won't be eating the blog. <laughs> so also something that's dumb. This is related to the movie that we're going to be talking about loosely. But Dumb Stuff, the sequel to The Ring by Gore Verbinski. I mentioned his name again. It's coming up. That didn't fare well in the theater. You're talking about Rings. Yeah. So rings. Sorry. Not, not The, the ring. ring 2. Right. But Rings, the sequel to Gore Verbinski's Ring. Didn't fare too well. So the dumbhead execs in Hollywood scratched their heads and panicking because they had a bunch of sequels lined up and one of them was Friday the 13th. Well, sequels and reboots. Mm-hmm. Friday 13th, was it going to be a reboot for no good reason because they just rebooted it in 2009 mm -hmm. and then they took too long to make a sequel. They just needed a sequel. Yeah. But they shelved any idea for a sequel for a reboot prequel. And you know what? I'm totally fine with that, honestly. The reboot prequel? No, the, putting it on back on the shelf. Stopping production on it. Correct. Okay, because why? Well, okay, so Friday the 13th, whatever, you know, it's a beloved franchise. I don't want to say I don't care, but like it's it's not really necessary. I mean, uh, we don't really need another Jason story. There's over 10 of them. Yeah, I mean, it's cool, whatever. But the, the thing with rings, I was sort of excited because I really like the ring. I really, 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 really do. But you don't like the ring too because in particular the deer yeah well i mean that's kind of beside the point but that was a sequel that came hot on the heels of the original right and now we're years away from that yeah 
Well, I was kind of excited for it because it's been so long since that's really been. In, so you're in not, the, you don't have a problem with it not being soon enough after? No, I don't. It didn't bother me, except then I saw what it looked like and I was like, oh. It's a CW yeah. cast type movie. Mm. That's what it looked like. Anyway. So then I lost interest. But, you know, the, the more you think about it, we're always talking about how there needs to be more original content, how studios like make an event out of a sequel or a reboot. Like, uh, they know that it's going to be a cash cow for them. It has a built-in audience. Right. And, you know, for a while it didn't really bother me too much, but now, and especially after seeing the film that we're going to be talking about, it's really more important now than ever that we have original content, that we have these stories that, like, we have no idea what they're like at all going mm-hmm. into them. It's just really part of a genuine movie-going experience. To be fresh Yes. To be kind of clueless about the the property. Yes. And that is exactly why this film is so amazing and and refreshing and impactful. So what are we talking about, Andrew? A cure for wellness. We don't get many visitors here. What is this place? The sanitarium is built of an ancient aquifer. Rebuilt. After the fire. The villagers burnt the place down on account of the experiments. That was 200 years ago. This is happening now. Listen to yourself. You're not a well man. Stop saying that! This is a movie that got me super, super excited to see it when I saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. Each trailer, even though there is a trailer that gives more information, each trailer is more uh, akin to what a teaser is. Right. Which gives less information, but gives you really great images, and it hooks you. It makes you want to see the thing. The longest commercial for this or trailer for this was uh, almost, what, two and a half minutes or something. Yeah. But it was still ambiguous in various parts. But it's a type of movie that really benefits from this type of trailer. Mm-hmm. Remember Goodnight Mommy? Yes. That trailer was amazing, mm-hmm. but the movie didn't follow suit at all. Yeah, it didn't live up to... It did the... not... It wasn't as weird and bizarre mm-hmm. as the trailer made it look. Right. I mean, it was weird and bizarre, but It was not... just a thriller, yeah. bad kid movie type thing. Like, right. Like a problem child... Not problem child. It wasn't... Like bad bl- seeds. It wasn't blow you away, weird and bizarre. Yeah, it wasn't what the trailer showed yeah. us. And this movie almost didn't meet what the trailer gave us (laughs) almost because the trailer's really plenty of weird Mm -hmm. but when you watch this film and you get all the way through it all of that weird bizarre imagery and stuff that were in the trailer it's all throughout it but it's speckled throughout the film Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty conventional story right but all those parts make it seem like it's not and they throw it all into the trailer Mm -hmm. it's not me saying i don't like it that's just something i noticed what is this about anyway uh, so you you want a synopsis? Sure. Okay. We we don't want to spoil this one. So a one sentence synopsis could probably be okay. A young business executive financial advisor guy, Dane DeHaan, is assigned to go to Switzerland, my favorite place on the planet, <laughs> to pick up one of the business partners of his firm who has gone there for a two-week spa vacation at this amazing resort with hot steam baths and you know all you know all that relaxing and stuff and an eel motif 
Yeah, in the Swiss Alps, and it's amazingly beautiful. So he goes to pick him up and bring him back to New York because some crazy Wall Street stuff is happening. Yeah, and when he gets to Switzerland and he gets to the place, things... They just won't let him leave. Yeah. He meets a young girl there, Mia Goth. Mm Mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf's wife. Oh, is she? Yeah, she was also a nymphomaniac. Oh, that's right. Oh, thanks. So she's gonna the be she's entertainment news. Yeah, <laughs> she's uh she's one of these um credible young starlets. I'm not even she's not even like Hollywood starlet type thing, but she started out credible, doing uh-huh. credible work, doing edgy, credible, risky stuff. Yeah. So now it, I doubt that she's gonna go off and do like Sweet Home Alabama two. No. Or something. No, she's going to be in Suspiria, right? Yeah. Okay. She's in the remake of Suspiria. Reimagining remake of Suspiria. I've seen two things that she's done, and she does pretty well in both. I mean, she's part of a huge ensemble cast in the first thing, and then this one is a more pared-down, not as sprawling of an ensemble cast. But she does good work. If you're going to have a new Suspiria and have a dancing (laughs) model-type person... Why not her? Yeah. She seems appropriate. So that piqued my interest a little bit more. Because full disclosure, I don't really care about Suspiria. I'm not a true horror fan. (laughs) And Jason Isaacs plays the head doctor, director of the spa treatment place. Right. Not only is it a spa resort. It's a sanitarium, really. Yeah, it's it's kind of a sanitarium. I mean, it's called a sanitarium. That doesn't mean an insanitarium. Okay, it's a place where the world's elite who are the top of their businesses, they're all the CEOs and all the people that... The one percenters? Well, yeah, you know, those people who, like, have the ambition and have the greed and, like, have, have all these things that we as society typically look down upon however they're successful because they have those qualities and they have a lot of power and wealth and and all that They're, they're all tycoons yeah these people go to this place because they're stressed out because they lead these potentially horribly evil business people lives and so what do they need they need to cleanse themselves basically yeah so they're unwell so they go to this place to find the cure and for years it's said that for hundreds of years really that the waters that are under there are said to be very replenishing Mm-hmm. Very miraculous, even. Right. And that is why they come far and wide. And that's for ba- water treatment. Right. Yeah. That's basically the entire treatment. It's just them drinking water, taking taking hot baths, getting uh, submergent ho- therapy. Yeah. Yeah. The isolation tank thing. Being hosed. Hosers. <laughs> so it's just all water. Water-based therapies. Yeah. Also calisthenics in the pool mm-hmm. with balls. <laughs> Exercise balls. Now I did want this movie to be weirder so in a way it reminded me of shutter island you know there are similar themes throughout i don't like shutter island because i don't like leonardo dicaprio that's <laughs> that's that's one part the yeah. other part is oh come on shutter- for, for shutter island shutter island is a, a well-made beautifully gothic dark movie yeah sure i dig how it shot and everything but then the rug pulled out from under my feet at the end and all that stuff it's just like why bother you could kind of see it coming yeah for, like for a long for time a far off place yes and so, even like, i read the novel before the film and the it's, it's, it's the same way yeah, yeah. so I mean, like, like you know so shutter island way overrated to me but still really good filmmaking visually mm-hmm. and all that stuff mm-hmm. but this movie didn't leave me with 
dissatisfaction. No. What's cool about this movie is it did have a really lasting impression. It wasn't scary necessarily. It was macabre. Yeah, it, it got gothic and, and weird and like foreboding and. Oh wait, also it's set in contemporary time. Right. But the estate is an old building, at right. least 200 years old. Right. All the activities look like it's 1922 or something. Yeah. Other um, nurses dress. Yeah. With the yeah. Nurse hats and stuff. But it wasn't necessarily scary. However, the imagery really, really stays with you. You know, I like smart movies. And I think this movie is a smart movie because it makes you think about things well after you've watched it. Resonates. Yes. So you say you think it's a smart movie. I do too. Uh But I don't think it treats the audience like it's a smart movie. Right. It's not alienating or pretentious in any way. So Gore Verbinski. Mm -hmm. He's the director of this. Yeah, he's a cool dude. I know a bit about him, basically from his movies. I don't know many more things, but he started off with Mouse Hunt. Mm-hmm. And that is like Coen Brothers did a slapstick cartoon movie. <laughs> it just seems like how they would move the camera back when they did Raising Arizona type movies. Mm-hmm. But set in an old house where Christopher Walken is hunting a mouse with Nathan Lane and Lee Evans. It's a fun family film. It's crazy. It's violent, but it's cartoon cat mm-hmm. and mouse type violence. And I think he did The Ring after that. And from there, Pirates of the Caribbean and so on. So he has a definite style to his direction. He's got really great texture a really keen eye for visuals he's got a good dp too i would say bohan is his name i I can't pronounce his last name so i'm not going to okay but he's uh he worked with them on the ring and and also this film and and maybe more i didn't get past the imagery that they use and and you know you can see themes in the imagery while i was watching this film i thought about the ring a lot certain images like uh standing on a ledge like falling off of a ledge in bodies of water so the rings video yeah all that collage video yeah a lot of images in this movie of like the strange parts yeah, yeah. Uh, or, seem like you could probably cut them all the strange yeah, parts together and, and make another another ring yeah. viral video sort right. of thing. And, oh there, no! There was a part where there was a child and he was coloring and he was like doing that thing where he just just circles over and over and over. Yeah. Like I mean, that's definitely in the ring. So I mean, certain visuals I think that they like to have. Yeah. Well, and, that's and that's, that's fine. creepy when a kid is just kind yeah. of mindlessly <laughs> doing that yeah. over and over and over and over over an apocalyptic looking kid drawing mm-hmm. of a burning castle. <laughs> yeah. So this this movie gets really dark. It's a rated R film. Mm-hmm. It gets really, really dark. And I'm going to say, like if anybody has seen Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, it goes to those lengths of darkness. Hmm. I'm not being parallel. Like, these are like... You're not comparing them. I am comparing them. Well, you're not like saying they're the same. I am not making them analogous to each other. Yes. I'm talking to the, about the depth of darkness in them. So I'm only going to be talking about right now the Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. If you haven't seen it, watch it. I'm going to spoil it for you. Both versions, any version. In Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, she's assaulted. It's pretty graphic. Mm -hmm. And then she gets her comeuppance on him, which is also graphic. There is a Nazi, a hard Nazi motif, also having to do with some sort of serial murder and dark, dark, dark stuff. Now, this movie doesn't get as heavy and real-world serious as Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, because Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is just way real-world serious. Yes. This has some more fantastical elements. Yeah, there's there's dream logic applied. Like as soon as Lockhart, that's his name, Dane, yeah. Dane 
to Han. Uh, as soon as he arrives at the resort... Don't drink the water. Yeah, it just, it totally turns into a dream logic scenario. Does he really see what he thinks he's seeing? Right. So, so the strange, macabre horror movie stuff in this that's not what i'm talking about i'm actually talking about the the real world kind of trauma stuff that does end up showing up in the film in its last act that's akin to the girl with the dragon tattoos traumatic Mm -hmm. moments it's as if something akin to the girl with the dragon tattoo was made by like hammer horror yeah you know like the really gothic like kind of dreamy yeah scenario Let's, let's take it step it back from reality a little bit yeah. To me, it, it gets towards the territory as well as you said, Hammer, uh, as something like Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. but not with some guy running around sabotaging things yeah. left and right. I'm not talking about that, but there is a certain element to this that when it's revealed, you're like, oh, that's yeah. where this went. Yeah. Okay. As I was watching it, I was like, this feels like a fairy tale. Fairy tale? Yeah. like People usually consider Guillermo del Toro's work like fairy tale. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, consider this the same way. And, and you, you know, know what? what? I'm validated because I read an interview with Gore Verbinski and he called this film, quote, reverse Sleeping Beauty. Okay. Fairy tale indeed, I suppose. Yeah. I guess, you know, the fairy tale stuff that I like is always, well, it's either Sword in the Stone or uh-huh. just darkest, <laughs> most messed up stuff. Yeah. That I And I don't even consider it fairy tale. I consider it gothic. I consider it macabre. But I never consider that stuff fairy tale. Mm-hmm. But I guess. Yeah. I guess okay. Yeah. I guess it can be because they started, fairy tales always started, grim tales and all that mm-hmm. were always pitch dark. Yep. Okay. So water, eels are an image in this film that pop up time and time again. Yep. Not the band, the eels. Who? Well, I like birds. I know the who eels. they are. Of course you do. The eels are very interesting, and I wish they explored that more. That's that's something. Yeah, they were carnivorous. Are eels carnivorous? I don't know. Are eels like piranha? I don't know either, but I just, I always wish if there's some sort of science claim mm-hmm. in a film and it doesn't have this expository moment or even just the setting showing you how mm-hmm. this stuff works exactly, I mm-hmm. always want to know more. Well, maybe there was more, but then they cut it out to make it two <laughs> hours and 20 minutes. Because it's a super long movie. <laughs> it's a really long movie and it doesn't feel like it's a really long movie no it doesn't we surprisingly. went and we were dog tired mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we went early in the morning first showing yep. and 11 40 but that's not early <laughs> in the morning it's early for me but i was not you know i have short patience when it comes to long films and it really didn't bother me i don't know of a single point in that film where i was like uh or anything there was nothing there, there was really nothing like i didn't even get movie theater but i don't understand you didn't no i didn't i'm amazed i know it's crazy because you movie theater but at the bistro and the bistro <laughs> has super comfortable yeah, chairs I know. and this wasn't the bistro i know it's crazy that's that's crazy so that's a, a ringing endorsement right there go see a cure for wellness you won't get movie theater but <laughs> All right, you have some some themes here that you were wanting to talk about. Yeah, okay, so I said earlier, I think it's smart because it talks about certain things. We, we talked about earlier that, you know, the, the one percenter syndrome is what I'm going to call it, where ambition and greed just overtake you and you don't think about anything else. One percenter guilt syndrome. Yeah, okay. I'm going to call it guilt syndrome okay. because you have to have the one percenter there, but guilt because that's how these people felt and what they learned, right? Yeah. At least 
that they claimed eventually, I'm here and I'm going to stay here because I feel bad and I'm basically paying my dues now. Mm -hmm. So what are we sacrificing in order to gain success? And what is that doing to us, like, psychologically? Okay, so the cliche is, and it, it probably a cliche for a reason, is that you usually sacrifice home life, mm-hmm. harmonious relationships. Right. Uh, and that's not just home life. That's harmonious relationships in general. Mm-hmm. How many times do you see the story of the wealthy family who does not talk to each other, who can't stand each other, who are there because of appearances, basically? There's the, uh, the flip side of the wealthy family that shows us that they're the perfect wealthy family, all smiles and stuff, mm-hmm. but they don't really care or know about each other. They just, you know, we've got all the money and mm-hmm. they might not be an unharmonious family, in a big, loud argument sense, but it's a facade in yeah, front of everybody. Yeah. The movie American Beauty, though it's about suburbia and the upper middle class, mm-hmm. is all about that. So apply that to the one percenters. Mm-hmm. So ambition, are you saying stepping over people, stepping on top right, of people? Right, like just being cutthroat, doing what it Tearing takes. Tearing people down so that you're mm-hmm. higher. Yes, exactly. Placing importance on climbing up the ladder of being the most powerful and, you know, not caring about what happens to the little guy that you're stepping over. It just makes you a toxic person. And they know that they have toxicities within them and that's why they go to they're old by the time they get there mm-hmm. now Lockhart is a young man and he got where he is through some shady dealings mm-hmm. and that's actually why they send him yeah they're kind of blackmailing him yeah uh, you go or you go to jail. Mm-hmm. But at first, I my imagination goes with the movie. But then uh, because I fancy myself a creator of some sort and I build stories in just single images and whatever. So I, I think I have some sort of handle on how to write a story. My mind was like, I would like this guy to be a lawful good character. Where right. he has no bad attitude. Mm-hmm. Where he's just a super great guy. And then this stuff happens. And then like the juxtaposition of great guy and losing mm-hmm. mind possibly and the great guy regaining mind or coming to understand the mystery that is interesting to me it mm-hmm. always has been interesting to me uh, I guess in a Hardy Boys kind of sense or Twin Peaks Dale Cooper kind of sense but as the movie unfolded I understand why they made the choices that they did right he's not even an anti-hero like he's just an asshole yeah he's just basically. a jerk basically like there's just there's no redeeming quality about him except you do want him to succeed I wouldn't say there's no redeeming quality about him. He's not a murderer or anything. He knows right from wrong. He knows the conventional morals. And he actually threw aside some of them to get to where he was. Right. And then he was busted. So he knows. He's not irredeemable, but he's not a good dude. Right. Okay. He's crass. He talks in a boorish manner to his colleagues sometimes. He's demanding. But he's not overturning tables and stuff. Yeah, okay. But as it progresses, he starts learning things and not just learning about the mystery. Yeah, and you know, you wonder when it's all said and done, like, what's he going to be like now? Mm -hmm. Because by the end of it... A lot of things have happened to this man that alter his existence significantly. Yeah, so uh, metaphorically flips the bird at the end. Right. Towards everything, I think, that he, he previously stood for. Right. And that that's actually quite interesting. Like, what? 
<laughs> where where are you actually going to go? How are you going to get to where you need to yeah. be? How are you going to yeah. take care of previous yeah. response? Ah, wow, this is interesting. But it's actually a poetic ending as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, another cool theme I thought about is the commentary that it makes on the wellness industry. I'm talking about healthcare, basically, or uh, big pharma. Okay. I, mean, I know there's a lot of like conspiracies out there about like how we have a cure for cancer, we have a cure for diabetes, like we have cures for everything, but they're not giving them out to people because they want to keep them sick. So they keep paying. Right. The industry wants to keep people just well enough that they can keep going, that they can get by, but they're not going to give them a cure. That's a conspiracy theory. Yes. So I think that applies to the resort in the Well, this I mean, film. he has this moment where he's like, yeah, that's what you're saying, uh-huh. but you're just telling them so you can keep them here. Yeah. No one do- no one leaves. You they never want to leave. You go to this place for two weeks. You have this like idea of like, oh, I'm just going to take a, a steam bath for a couple of weeks and I'll be refreshed and I'll go back to my life. And after your two weeks of convalescing and recuperating. You don't want to leave. You feel you great. Send a letter or email saying, I'm not coming back. Yep, but then you never do. But why? We're not going to tell you! (laughs) There's this other thing that raises, which is uh, the idea of sickness as an absolution. Like, if you are a terrible 1% person, and you, like, stab the backs of everybody all Mm -hmm. the time, and you're like, you know, all in the name of business or whatever. Gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but, oh, you're not well, so, oh, it's okay. You have a doctor telling you that you're unwell, so, like, you kind of, like, that takes the responsibility away from you from being a terrible person you're like oh well yeah i have this disorder and oh well i can't relate so i am having a hard time understand i understand every single word you're saying <laughs> but i don't know in what part of the world allows that on a smaller scale maybe your best buddy jim bob over there every time he feels under the weather he's mm-hmm. a crabby jerk yeah and so you're like oh you don't feel well you have the flu mm-hmm. so that gives you license to be a crabby jerk my response to him is oh it's okay you're ill yeah yeah it's it's the same as saying bless your heart to somebody you know like you can say whatever you want about somebody as long as you say bless your heart afterwards hmm. it's, still... it's, it's an absolution like you're you're granted immunity just yeah. because you're, I, you're not I a have... well person I have no way to actually relate to it personally because when I'm sick, I don't treat people badly. <laughs> I don't get sick very often, so I treat people badly when I'm not sick. I'm joking. I don't treat people <laughs> badly, I think. <laughs> I hope I don't. But Basically, like, okay, so you go to see a doctor. He writes a note saying, you know, this, this, and this is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. That note is your excuse. So that... So you're saying that if I was like Joe Bob over there being all ill and grumpy uh-huh. and gruff and mean to people because I'm sick, mm-hmm. I would take that note as an excuse. Right. And you would say, oh, I am not responsible for my behavior. I, I am unwell. I would think that. I just think people are jerks when they're not feeling well. Well, I think it's kind of just like a, an undercurrent kind of thing. It's just like, oh, this gives me license. I'm not saying it's good. But you know what? Actually, like, I don't know if it really applies so much to like someone continuing to be a jerk after they find out that something's wrong with them like i think it's an excuse of a behavior beforehand like you're you're a bad person you see a doctor doctor tells you you're unwell in some way or another it might be mental it might be physical and then you go oh that's the reason that's the reason why i've been a jerk why i've been a jerk Mm, you're opening up a bunch of (laughs) concepts that i just can't get my head around 
which is not to say I'm not agreeing with you or I am agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. It's to say that I've never been posed these ideas. And I think people are, are a bit more reactionary than premeditated. Mm. They, they learn premeditation. Mm -hmm. So when lion with the thorn in his paw, that's going to be totally reactionary. He's going to make him want to kill anything that comes near him. That's like an instinct thing. Mm -hmm. So the premeditation is a whole other ball field. Is that the term? Ball court? <laughs> whole other can of worms? Can of balls? Sure. Can of eels. Can of eels. Man, okay, so I was thinking about this in this film. There's a part where they they go into this underground sort of tunnel cave, and there's that macabre weird, like, fetuses and jars. Yeah. You know, like, all that stuff. Deformities. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I'm, you know, I mean, this is probably obvious to everybody else in the world, but it's something that I haven't really thought about, is how messed up it is to have a fetus in a jar. Like, before, you know, I hadn't really thought about it as far as oh that's just something that's weird or you know you see like a um, we see it time and time again yeah, in macabre yeah films. and it's just like eh, whatever or, or or you see like a two-headed cow in yeah a jar it's a prop of an anomaly yeah. of a medical oddity right that didn't survive yeah yeah and that's, so it's set there to set a mood or like a, a visual tone yeah for yeah the room. oh and this it, is a creepy place and yeah it's really weird and i can sort of excuse the animal stuff i mean what about museum? Because a lot of these things would be in museums. Yeah, now. right, right. But think about the fetuses that really like just like hit me this time. That those are people. Like that is a baby human with two faces that like ceased to exist. Like yeah. that was a soul, and now it's in a jar. And now it's in a jar, and you're keeping it. I mean, like I have my freaking teeth in a jar from where you know I got my wisdom teeth pulled, and you know that. Like I have weird stuff. Okay. Okay, but it's really tell them what you really me. have. You have your wisdom <laughs> teeth and a little mouthwash bottle full of vodka. Yeah, as a preservative, duh. <laughs> That's what it is. It's not yeah, a jar. Yeah, okay. I like weird stuff. Yeah, I fully admit that. But it just really hit me this okay. time. Okay. Also, she's not that weird. That's like the weirdest thing that she has. <laughs> Okay. It is strange, but what do you feel about the body works then? Body works is that display of plasticized human bodies. Now they're donated to mm -hmm. these people and then they're plasticized, which means a, a kind of solution is pumped through every part of their body. Yeah. They take away the nerves. So you have a, the nervous uh -huh, system uh -huh. and only the nervous system in the pose of your body. Yeah. And it's like plastic. Yeah. But it's really your nerves plasticized. Well, I have... Muscles plasticized. Yeah. Your bones plasticize and your organs plasticize. Everything is like that. So that's I, a real person on display. I don't know too much about the, the ins and outs of that. Where the bodies come from. Were they like donated to them? When you say donated, was it like um, like a body farm situation where... Um, well, I don't know you Where like I would sign off saying, yes, I want to donate myself to the body farm after I die. I'm thinking it's more like somebody willed themselves to the body farm. Or okay. the plasticized so, body works, whatever. whatever. That, okay, I can be okay with that because it you know it was a consensual thing this is a weird subject <laughs> it's only a prop in the movie and I, we're I, I but if you think about it they actually have a keen point in the movie of being there for the plot that we're not yeah gonna discuss. yeah that's yeah still it's weird like, yeah, well it's not a positive 
<laughs> point. It, it isn't like, oh, no, he's just a science. No, it's just science. No, it's just, oh, no. That's, no, he's disturbed science. Mm-hmm. Which, this is a mad science movie. Yeah, mad science, fairy tale, gothic, dream thing. Morality tale. Yeah. So I really like this movie, Andrew. Okay, good. That means that I can get a copy of it and... We can watch it at least one more time. Oh, sure. And enjoy it. I really love the visuals in this movie. I'm a fan of Gore Verbinski. Yeah. I'm a big fan of his visuals. He is a really accessible auteur. Mm-hmm. He has his vision. Dude, he even made one of the best modern westerns out there. That doesn't get much love. No, it gets zero love because of Johnny Depp. And it's stupid to not love something just because Johnny Depp's in it. The Lone Ranger. Beautiful movie. Great action set pieces. Awesome film. He handles everything. Thing with his DP, they are like the machine. Mm-hmm. And it's accessible. Terrence Malick is an auteur, and I can't. <laughs> his movies are long-winded. Yeah. They're too long. They're go- they go on. There's a lot of beautiful images, but there's also like, oh, come on. Just get on with it. Yeah. Gore Verbinski. Man, he made a pirate movie interesting in, you know, the modern era. Like- pirate mo- You know what? Pirate <laughs> movies were the death of movies. Yeah. Nobody wanted to be in a pirate movie. Yeah, exactly. The last pirate movie, major pirate movie that wasn't straight to video was Cutthroat Island in the mid-90s. And that killed a few people's careers. Matthew Modine was put on life support career-wise. Gina Davis ended up struggling after that. Mm-hmm. The director, Rennie Harlan, major blockbuster director, where has he been since then? I don't know. Small movies. Hardly ever seen anymore. It's all because it's a pirate movie. And Gore Verbinski did three pirate movies in a row. Immensely successful pirate movies. Just great. And his return to horror, yay! Yeah, well, people are going to start calling this a thriller instead of horror movie. Oh, shut up. But if you're going to call, like I said, Phantom of the Opera a horror movie, when they do, I would say it's safe to say that this is a horror movie as well. Agreed. I dig it. You dig it. Hope everybody else digs it. So thanks, everybody, for listening once again. uh, It's good to be back. And like I said, we'll be here once a month now. It's cool. And you can uh, read about some interesting world exotic cuisine that I'll be making from the recipe book of Vincent and Mary Price. Coming up very soon. But in the meantime, go ahead, follow us. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on iTunes. Like, subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we need those. I think that about does it, Andrew. Indeed. Good night, everyone. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by Ouch My Ego. Visit OuchMyEgo.com. I'm a true horror fan.